Howdy, folks. Welcome to a brand new episode of Thanks for the Knowledge. It's Fanbyte's weekly news show rounding up the headlines in games and entertainment in one handy podcast. I'm your host, head of Fanbyte Media, John Warren. I want to first of all thank Paul Tamayo, my wonderful producer, for filling in for me last week. I actually got to take a real vacation. I didn't, I didn't have to make another one of these ahead of time. It was amazing. And Paul killed it. Paul did a great job. I could actually listen to last week's episode. I don't like listening to my own stuff. Anyway, uh, we have a really great show for you this week. Uh, I sat down to talk to Colette Arendt, uh, our wrestling editor, about the life and times of Scott Hall, professional wrestling legend who passed away this past week. Uh, we're also, of course, going to get you ready for next week's game releases. But first, we have to talk about this week's top stories. Three different studios were highlighted in a video release this week from People Make Games, a YouTube channel focusing on long-form investigative content. Uh, Those three studios are at the heart of a workplace abuse uh, trend that is happening and has been happening forever in the games industry. But a lot had been focused on the AAA aspect of these things, and now we're seeing a lot of independent studios uh, becoming uh, prominent in these cases. Uh, one is, of course, Fulbright Company, and Steve Gaynor, its founder, uh, profiled extensively months ago uh, by Polygon about uh, his own shortcomings as a manager and the emotional abuses faced at Fulbright Company. Uh, I won't get into that. That That's showcased in the video and also extensively in the Polygon reporting, so we'll move on from that. Uh, Florence Developer Mountains, uh, led by... Uh, Prominent indie developer Ken Wong, also part of this video, um, several people have stepped forward to say that he uh, is an emotionally abusive, abusive and manipulative boss, and uh, among other things, the video gets into some of those details, which some are uh, fairly tough to stomach. Uh, and the final is uh, Robin Hunnicky, uh, who is the lead uh, at Phenomena. Uh, they made Watam, if you recall. That's the game that went through a tough develop- development cycle. Sony actually pulled their funding. And like the other two studios, Annapurna uh, swooped in and decided to take publishing duties. So all three of these studios that have had these uh, abuse allegations, workplace abuse allegations, uh, have had Annapurna as a publisher. And Annapurna has gotten involved in all three studios' affairs to try to get these games out and published without too much fanfare. Uh, a lot of the folks interviewed in this story uh, may note that basically Annapurna Interactive did not do a great job at, uh, at you know, reducing the amount of toxicity and friction at these studios. It's a really interesting through line to all of this. Uh, that's all to say, honestly, you should go watch the video. It's, uh, it's a bit, it's a bit lengthy, but it's really, really good. It gives a very thorough account of all three studios and what they've gone through. Not to be outdone, uh, GamesBeat actually put out an extensive write-up talking about the Austrian studio Moon Studios, which made uh, Ori in the Blind Forest and its sequel, Ori in the Will of the Wisps. The details of this report are pretty explosive. Uh, The bosses there at Moon Studios uh, make jokes about workers' penis size. The founder uh, has made some incredibly uh, ableist and racist jokes, which I will not repeat here. Um, a lot of really, really, really bad stuff um, as part of this. And it kind of rings like the bro culture stuff that we've seen at Activision Blizzard and some of these larger studios. So a lot of details in that report. Of course, it's at Venture Beat, but also we've published some details and some analysis over at fanbyte.com. Kenneth Shepard actually did a great job putting all of those stories together that dropped toward the end of the week. Thank you, Kenneth. Um, that uh, workplace abuse and conditions for laborers continues to be a major issue, not just for AAA companies, but of course for independents as well. Moving on to other stuff. Listen, it's not that From Software has never been known for some of the workplace abuses that we've just talked about. They're just less reported, but let's talk about From Software anyway. Uh, we finally got some sales data of Elden Ring, and wow, 
a game sold really well, sold 12 million copies, which is by far the most uh, a game in the Soul series has uh, sold, especially in this time frame. Um, it's one of the best-selling games of the past 12 months. It is a massive, massive success uh, for from software, uh, and many, many, many different play people have played it across many different platforms, uh, and that's not super surprising. This is one of the best games of the year, and it just got patched. There was a patch that came out this week, and it nerfed some stuff. It changed some stuff. There were actually some broken quest lines that people just kind of thought, okay, like this is just mysterious and interesting, and I just haven't figured it out. Nope. They were broken. They were broken. Uh, and now they've been patched and fixed. And also the super powerful Horfrost Stomp, which is a... A weapon ability you can get uh, attached to a really cool axe. Of course, you can remove it and just use it on something else. Anyway, that's not important. But what is important is that this incredibly powerful move in Elden Ring has been nerfed. Yeah, that's right. And it's actually been a massive part of the early speedrunning community to get through this game super fast. The most recent uh, playthrough I've seen before the patch was about 28 minutes long, a super, super fast speed run, and it used the Horfrost Stomp extensively. Now, probably no more. Uh, also, also nerfed is the uh, Mimic Tear, which is a, uh, well, or Mimic Tear. Actually, I realize right now, I just don't know if, I don't know which one it is. doesn't matter. It's a spirit summon. It's, it's a, it's a super powerful item and it's been nerfed a lot. So anyway, uh, and also the a good thing though, is that weapons that scale with arcane, which was super broken at launch, uh, now apparently work. So that's very, very good. Uh, it's a, uh, almost two gig patch. So if you haven't checked it out yet, you should, um, it's, uh, it's a really good game. Even, even with the patch, that messed up our tier lists and all the other stuff that we've been writing. It's, it's a great game. You should still play it. Uh, EA play live, uh, was supposed to be, uh, one of those summer games mess events that we would look forward to. They've done it in the past few years. Uh, if you recall, one was hosted by Austin Creed, AKA Xavier Woods in the past two years before that were hosted by Greg Miller. They're not doing an EA play live event, uh, this year. They're just going to have some, uh, a, a fancy trailer reveals. It might be part of some other stuff, but not a big official presence from EA for EA play this summer. It's kind of disappointing, I guess. I, I don't know if they have a whole lot to show for it. Dragon age four, as we've reported extensively has been kind of on the, on the outs. Maybe I shouldn't say that that's probably too inflammatory. It's just, it's facing a lot of challenges internally. So we have no idea when it's coming out. So yeah, there are a lot of things. I mean, aside from the sports games that EA is known for, there's a lot of uncertainty with EA right now. Uh, Battle uh, Battlefield uh, 2042 did not do well according to their uh, according to their reports. Uh, Bioware is obviously, like I said, got a lot of stuff up in the air. It's a weird time uh, for EA right now. So them ducking out of the summer event makes a little bit of sense, especially if they don't have a ton to show for it. Um, Hunter, um, Hunter, Monster Hunter Rise Sunbreak is going to match its release date on Switch and PC. So there is no big, de big delay, uh, fortunately for folks, you know, folks that wanted to play this game on PC had to wait quite a while to play, uh, Monster Hunter Rise on PC because it came out for Switch so much earlier, but that the release date of the PC and Switch version will be June 30th, 2022. And if you like that game, we have a lot of coverage of it over at Fanboy. Com. Steven Strom has been doing a ton of stuff for Monster Hunter Rise since that game came out, and I know they are super excited to play some Sunbreak. Uh, this week, we got a new uh, in-development video from Bethesda about Starfield, their next huge open-world RPG. It's about five and a half minutes long. It features a roundtable with Todd Howard and a couple other important figures on the team. They talked about, you know, all the hits, right? It's a big open world. It's immersive. And there are factions. Have you ever heard of factions? They also talked about how these factions can be joined. And even if you're like a good person, you can join the bad faction and kind of be a narc and a spy. Um, 
kind of a weird vibe with some of the conversation happening with Starfield, but it's fine. If you really like one of these games, it's going to be very much like that. It is a capital B Bethesda game. Uh, so much so that they talked about the persuasion mechanic in Oblivion, a uh, very, very, very funny mechanic that often had uh, you just screaming at a merchant uh, compliments or threats until they <laughs> until they were, quote, persuaded to let you do something or to give you a discount. Um, it, there are a ton of really funny YouTube videos where you can see that mechanic in progress and in, in, in action and uh I, I, here's what I'll say. I'm not sure I would have taken that mechanic and said, we should do more with this. We should do more with this, but apparently it's being kind of remade and reimagined in the Starfield universe. They have to know that it can't work exactly like it did because it's, it's not a, not a very good mechanic. But anyway, if you are excited about Starfield, I'm excited for you. Listen, I'm also excited about Starfield. Let's be honest. Like, even though I make fun of a lot of these games and I think Bethesda has really kind of lost its way with a lot of stuff. Uh, these games still offer hundreds of hours of fairly compelling gameplay, even if I think fallout four was not very good. Uh, but yeah, this video is good. If you want to see uh, concept art, if you want to see some discussion from Todd and get a sense of the mechanics that you're going to face in this game, because it is going to be a big beefy game. Uh, let's check in with Final Fantasy 14 for a second. Uh, Japan did a, uh, a cool survey, a total of almost 500,000 votes were cast in Japan and their number one favorite, uh, <laughs> favorite character from Final Fantasy 14 is Emmett Selk. The big dumpy butt boy himself, Emmett Selk. It's very exciting. Very exciting for all the Emmett Selk fans in the world. I know Natalie uh, has got to be excited about that. Um, yeah. <laughs> also, uh, some interesting news in a recent interview with uh, Famitsu. Uh, Noki Yoshida, of course, said uh, the director of Final Fantasy XIV actually said that uh, Inwalker was actually originally supposed to be two expansions. They wanted to create an entire whole expansion for Garlemald. They eventually pared it way, way, way down into the uh, still very beefy expansion that you play now. Um and of course, it's the end of the Hydaelyn Zodiac saga. So that's it. Uh, they're not going to go back and do a whole expansion or put the Garlemald stuff in a different patch. Uh, they're just kind of leaving it on the table. But uh, but that's exciting. I mean, they really obviously had big plans for this. Hopefully they took some of that interesting ambition and put it into whatever comes next for Final Fantasy XIV. We know a little bit about what's coming next, but we still don't know a lot of details about the story and all of that stuff. Uh, Sony, I'm going to wrap this up. Sony uh, had a state of play this week, and it was all about Hogwarts Legacy. And Hogwarts Legacy is, of course, the newest game in the Harry Potter franchise. We at Fanbyte has made a conscious choice to not cover this game, to not cover it in any meaningful way. Uh, there is a post over at fanbyte.com that Imran Khan posted. We all support it. We all agree with it. Uh, we're not going to really participate in the marketing of this game. J.K. Rowling still benefits hugely from the success of this franchise. And um, yeah, that's really pro probably, probably the less said the better actually. Um, Imran has posted some uh, very, very helpful links to charities that you might want to consider in Texas, especially uh, trans lifeline, trans Texas and equality, Texas, all doing good work on the ground in Texas. And why do they have to do uh, all this work in Texas right now? Well, it's because Greg Abbott and his cronies have decided to start targeting trans, uh, trans kids and their families labeling them as dangerous and abusive for uh, for allowing their children to transition or explore gender-affirming uh, processes. So that's terrible, obviously, and I have a lot of personal stake in uh, Texas not going through with any of this stuff because I'm a 
native Texan, and the stuff pisses me off every day, and it pisses me off just thinking about it. Uh, fortunately, there does seem to be some movement in the right direction, knock on wood. Uh, the Human Rights Campaign did uh, get together a letter signed by over 65 companies uh, saying, hey, uh, you should really quit doing this stuff or we're going to pull our uh, pull our businesses out of Texas. Uh, a quote from the HRC uh, director, Rebecca Marquez, actually uh, said this, quote, our companies do business, create jobs, and serve customers in Texas. We are committed to building inclusive environments where our employees can thrive inside and outside of the workplace. For years, we have stood to ensure LGBTQ plus people, our employees, customers, and their families are safe and welcomed in the communities where we do business. The recent attempt to criminalize a parent for helping their transgender child access medically necessary age-appropriate health care in the state of Texas goes against the values of our companies. This policy creates fear for employees and their families, especially those with transgender children who might now be faced with choosing to provide the best possible medical care for their children, but risk having those children removed by Child Protective Services for doing so. It is only one of several efforts discriminating against transgender youth that are advancing across the country. We call on our public leaders in Texas and across the country to abandon efforts to write discrimination into law and policy. It's not just wrong. It has an impact on our employees, our customers, their families, and our work, end quote. Um, the, the, the companies that sign this include Microsoft, Electronic Arts, Gearbox, Apple, and Google, in case you're curious about kind of the games and technology side. Um, and yeah, so a lot of, uh, a lot of companies have signed this. Sent it out. We'll see what happens. Not holding my breath. Greg Abbott is a, a total ghoul. But he's not the only one. The stuff is happening across the country. And it's in part because people like J.K. Rowling are spreading extremely harmful misinformation and absolute hate through what they're talking about. These platforms, these massive platforms that they have. And unfortunately... This game that's coming out is part of that platform. Anyway, thanks. This week, professional wrestling lost one of its very best. Scott Hall, a.k.a. Razor Ramon, passed away at the age of 63 from complications following hip surgery. With me to talk about Scott Hall and his legacy is Fanbyte's wrestling editor, Colette Aaron. Hello, Colette. Hi, John. I'm very sad about Scott Hall. Yeah, I think that everyone is. Like, yeah. there's there's nobody who, who likes, appreciates, or is a part of pro wrestling that isn't, you know, sad to some degree about this. Yeah. I, I, I was, um, th this is, this, this is a weird thing about me. Uh, Scott Hall has had, uh, well-known battles with his own health and of course, addiction and things like that. And so a lot of people would maybe look at Scott Hall in his uh, later years and go, well, this, it's actually pretty surprising that he's still kicking uh, considering how many of his, peers um have also passed away before him uh but for some reason it i was shocked that he finally actually died i was it was just one of those one of those things where i was just like oh, i actually really did kind of think he would kick it i mean just be around forever um just because he had just overcome so much and i just i don't know i it's one of those one of those things i've been struggling with because i think Maybe if you had asked me two weeks ago, who are your favorite wrestlers of all time, like your top five, I don't know if I would have put him on it. But after kind of thinking about it, especially after his passing, I, I, I just I really loved pretty much every part of of this guy. And I mean, what what is kind of your history with Scott Hall in terms of. A, a viewer and a lover of wrestling uh i've loved him since i was a kid um yeah. i think that just about anybody who grew up watching wrestling in the early 90s uh 
whether it was through, you know, direct exposure to the television programming that WWF had going on or whether it was through, you know, video games like WrestleMania, the arcade game or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, like Scott Hall, uh, particularly as Razor Ramon, was uh, an undeniable fact of pro wrestling at the time. Yeah. He was a very good bad guy. Um, obviously, he's known as the bad guy uh, for <laughs> pretty much the entirety of his career. Um, but he's also like an excellent baby face. Like he was, he was both yeah. things in WWF, which made it easy to remember him and made it easy to, um, you know, really miss him, uh, when he wasn't there, when he was struggling with, with drug and alcohol addiction or, you know, now, now that he's passed, like everyone's having a very nostalgic moment with him. Um, I, you know, I don't remember a lot of, you know, early life detail because it's difficult to remember things from when you were five or sure. whatever. Yeah, of course. But um, when I talked to my mom about it, uh, when I called her up and said, you know, uh, I don't know if you remember, but like Scott Hall died and she was like, what was Scott Hall's, you know, wrestling name? Because that's that's the real name. To sure. Her. Uh, and I was like Razor Ramon, and she immediately went into a Razor Ramon impersonation. No way! Um, yeah, like immediately, like she did the Razor Ramon thing <laughs> like a bunch, <laughs> um, you know. And a lot of that is because my mom used to love pro wrestling too, but like you know, that wasn't her wrestling. Like she grew up in like the Sheik era, but sure, he he left a very indelible mark. Um, I also would probably be the kind of person who says that he's not in my top five, but you and I have both been watching wrestling long enough to yeah. say that there are like hundreds of, of favorite wrestlers. Um, sure, which of I course. Think is like something that I've been testing for a while. Yeah. Um, I believe this uh, now. I believed it before he passed. I, I genuinely think that Scott Hall is one of the most important wrestlers in American wrestling history. I think that he is somebody that the entire business hinged upon like twice uh, in a two-year stretch, which is frankly pretty incredible. Yeah, um, let let's talk about his contributions to to wrestling. I think um, obviously we can talk about his character work and things like that, but he really, along with Kevin Nash, and and it's hard to have this conversation without talking about Kevin Nash as well. Yeah. Um, along with Kevin Nash, really, really changed. Maybe not, maybe not forever, and maybe not permanently because we're still having a lot of labor issues in, in professional wrestling, obviously, but really changed the conversation about what wrestlers are worth and what their time on the road 300 days a year is worth. Yeah. Um, if I remember correctly, when they jumped from WWE to WCW in 1996, one of the conditions of their signing was uh really the first guaranteed money contracts in the history yeah. of, of modern wrestling which not only that um they had like a sweetheart clause so that whenever somebody new like signed to the company for something more than them uh their their contract would go over the top so when bret hart was signed in 1997 um, like they eclipsed the Holland Nash deal from 1996. So Holland Nash eclipsed the Bret Hart one, like automatically. Yeah. Um, those dudes took liberties, uh, with it. Like there's, sure, there's no denying that. Like, yeah. That's something they were pretty famous for. I remember going to a house show, uh, from my birthday in, uh, like 1998. I think the, the main event was sting versus Hulk Hogan in a cage. Um, but it's Detroit because uh, that's where I'm from. Yeah. And uh, Detroit is where Scott Hall is from. Or not Scott Hall, uh, where Kevin Nash is from. Um, and Kevin Nash no-showed his own, own hometown. <laughs> like that was, that was the kind of thing that, uh, that the outsiders would do is like they were, they were big enough. Like they were as a tag team, uh, as big of stars in WCW as Hulk Hogan was as a singles wrestler. Yeah. Um, so they got to do whatever they wanted, essentially. Like, if they didn't want to wrestle, they didn't have to wrestle. If all they wanted to do was cut a promo, that's all they did. If they didn't want to lose the tag team championships, they would come up with a really, really convoluted way to make sure that the Outsiders kept the the tag team mm -hmm. championships. Yeah. And this gave them kind of a bad reputation, uh, to say the right. least. I, I feel like one of the, the weird things about... Uh, the perception of wrestlers in pro wrestling, particularly in this country, is uh, that has changed quite a bit. Is that if you did something to like quote unquote screw the company over, you right. were a bad person, right? Um, exactly. 
because the company did a good job of making it seem as though they were screwing you, the fan, over too. Like this mm-hmm. is something that's like probably most evident when Stone Cold Steve Austin left the WWE over creative uh, control, like in the early two thousands. Like yeah. Steve Austin took his ball home, and he's not going to play with you, the fans. When it's like really like you guys didn't want to do things his way, and he has just as much say in how his character gets treated. Um, it's also something now where like people think that Brock Lesnar is a terrible person because he only works like four shows a year. And it's like, no, that that's why he's awesome. Like he gets paid, yeah. you know, $4 million a year or whatever it is. And, and he doesn't work that often. Like that's, that's great. That's like to be celebrated. <laughs> and and frankly, I think it's great that they got away with it in 1996 and 1997. Like, I think it's awesome. I do too. Um, yeah. So, I think so, of yeah. it fondly. I, I think of it fondly, honestly. I mean, there was a time exactly to your point where, the the wrestling media made it extremely easy to hate them because they were quote going into business for themselves. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But as you get older and as you examine the actual mechanics of how these companies have operated forever, the, the power dynamics are still squarely uh, lopsided in favor of executives. And so whenever these wrestlers actually get, what they what they deserve in terms of compensation and and things like that it's like that should be celebrated yes there are liberties taken sometimes but it's like that i i have a lot of fondness for the way that nash and hall always talked about this industry as a business Mm -hmm. because and that also got always like I feel like that also got constantly misconstrued for they don't actually care about professional wrestling, which like I don't think could be further from the truth. Right. Um, but it's just a really interesting dynamic that's be- become clearer to me as I've gotten older. I mean, something to keep in mind too is that they weren't invincible. Like um, right. someone else who is who is pretty deeply tied to the Scott Hall story is Sean Waltman, um, aka mm-hmm. the One Two Three Kid at X Pac. And in WCW, he was six Pac and, you know, um, Waltman posted a tweet recently, uh, um, of Scott Hall wearing, uh, his six shirt, like the oh, six yeah. ball shirt, which is mm-hmm. an all time grail for me. Like I would love to have that shirt. Yeah. Um, and he said that Hall wore it like every television date, like while, while he was, you know, laid out with a broken neck. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know what else happened when Waltman, like the best friend of of Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, uh, was laid out with a broken neck? Mm. Was fired via FedEx by Eric Bischoff, yeah, um, who was a guy that Hall and Nash had to look in the eye, not only like on a business level as like boss employee, but like on a performer level as somebody yep. who who regularly worked with them. Um, yeah. And you know, before they joined WCW, they were part of the Click, which is you know, a group of. Uh, talented and popular and politically active uh, professional wrestlers <laughs> in, in WWF comprising of Hall and Nash, um, Shawn Michaels, uh, Triple H, and I think to a lesser extent, Waltman. Um, yeah. And, you know, when everyone left the WWE, except for uh, Shawn Michaels, who was like too popular to be punished, um, you know, their their other best friend, Triple H, like pretty much was left holding the bag and was essentially a jobber for like a year. Like, yeah. People got punished in their wake for sure. Um, yeah, but yeah, they they weren't exactly like Teflon coated, but um, no. it it was it's hard. Like, what do you do? Like, if they're the second biggest act in WCW, then that means that they're one of like the three or four biggest acts in wrestling. Period. Like, you can't yeah. you you want to work with those people, and they, along with Hogan and the rest of the NWO, um they were a license to print money essentially. Yeah. Um, let's talk about another aspect of, of, of Scott Hall's career in, in the same vein of um, wearing the six shirt. Uh, I want to talk about his contributions to other wrestlers. I, I, I want to start with, I don't think a controversial view, but the, the idea that I really feel like Shawn Michaels' career, at least as we know it in the mid-90s and, and really through his entire legacy, was made by the latter match at WrestleMania 10 with, with Razor Ramon and how amazing Shawn Michaels looked because Razor Ramon was just so fucking good at what he does. Yeah. 
It's um, it's pretty interesting yeah. that you you would start there because I, you know, I've been watching that match um, to write an article about Hall. Like I've been watching that match like a few times this week. Yeah. And when I was younger, like uh, on message board, like internet forum days, like I remember the perception of that match being that it was a Shawn Michaels match. Uh-huh, like, Shawn, 100%. Shawn Michaels was bumping his ass off to make his yep. friend Razor Ramon look good. And it's like, mm-hmm. there was not a Shawn Michaels match until this match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It didn't exist because he wasn't yeah. a main eventer. Like he was an intercontinental champion and that's fine. But like, you know, he didn't have the same sort of, resume of matches with that title that like randy savage did right like whose whose feud against tito santana was amazing whose feud against ricky steamboat was amazing yep um he didn't have that like he had a very solid run of great mid-card matches where he was still you know rising up from the aftermath of the rockers breaking up like i think marty janetti would have been his his most significant feud to that point and janetti like you know bounced out due to drug problems and stuff like that this match uh is insane like in terms of Shawn michaels selling uh yeah. it's it's everything like that you that you expect from Shawn michaels um both good and bad um though mm-hmm. i think in this match it's mostly good because you haven't it's seen mostly it before good. yeah um but you know the point of what he's doing is not just to get razor ramon over but it's to make it known that like this is what he has in him like yeah it's it's the first televised ladder match in wbf history they, they say it's the first but the first was bret hart versus Shawn michaels in a in a house show yeah um but you know they they are establishing the grammar of this match they do not have like all of the ladder match cliches in place yet because Mm-mm. they don't exist so like yeah the two of them are essentially going out and working a main event Shawn michaels versus razor ramon match that happens to have a ladder involved yeah and it's perfect. It's it's still, um, you know, you kind of have to say that it's one of the best because you can't really argue against like yeah. TLC two being the best ladder match or whatever. Um, but I I think that it's it is if not still the best like singles match with a ladder. Like I I think it's top three easily. It's yeah, it's perfect. I think that you're right and that it 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 honestly does as much to elevate uh, Shawn Michaels as it does Razor Ramon and yeah given the way that Hall's career like progressed, like this is his high point as a wrestler, like both in ring and in terms of like, this is his WrestleMania moment, like holding the titles out on the, on the ladder, like celebrating, like that is his world championship moment. And he never, he never got one for like a variety of reasons. Um, Yeah. You know, whether it's that the Ramon character kind of was one that could never make it past, uh, you know, the upper (laughs) mid card because it's kind of cartoony. Uh, or that he was like the third highest ranking member of the NWO and was like the one who needed to be vulnerable so that there was a storyline or whatever. Yeah. So this is it. Like this is the thing, and and it's it's beautiful and it's great. And you know the SummerSlam matter, ladder match a couple months later is not as good, but it's still great. <laughs> um, yeah. Like those two, those two had it going on. Yeah, they they did. Uh, not important, but that WrestleMania ten had two perfect matches on it. I would say <laughs> it really did. It's really good. The rest of it, you can leave, but... Yeah. Yokozuna uh, versus Lex Luger and the ladder <laughs> match. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I meant. Um, uh, he he also had a reputation for um, putting over really low-card folks that he thought had a, a bright future. Obviously, mm-hmm. his most famous incident was, of course, Sean Waltman, the one, two, three kid. Uh, he also in, uh, new Japan put Hiroshi Tanahashi over, um, uh, which is un- unbelievable. Um, yeah. I had honestly forgotten about that until this past week. Um, and like Chris Jericho and WCW, like, yeah, he, he was willing, like if he thought someone was worth the time, he would, he would put them over. Yeah. And, and it was great. And he always looked like a a total shithead doing it, which is amazing. You know, he was (laughs) so good at being completely incensed and shocked that someone um, like that could beat him. It was great. I I, couldn't believe it. Yeah. He couldn't believe it. it. He Um, never believed it. It happened to him three or four times in his career. And he, he could increasingly never believe that it happened. Yeah. And it was always for the same reason too, that he was like, he's so talented that he can afford to be laid back. Uh-huh. Um, 
And that's not the case because he's being laid back against extremely talented people. Like they're mm-hmm. just at a different point in their career, you know? Um, yeah. It only takes three seconds is the cliche. And uh, it's, it's never, it's never a long match. Like he's never getting surprised like 16 minutes into a match. Um, but like four minutes, like five minutes, like that's, that's, that's his weak spot. Cause he's that's still like, spot. Yep. he's still going to slap you on the back of the head. If he gets like a, a go behind or something like that, like he's still yeah. a cocky jerk, but um yeah, those matches I, are great this matches are really great um he is uh, responsible for sting's crow character which i think you know maybe the casual fan doesn't know but that's um that's kind of amazing for for sting's entire uh, <laughs> not even second half of his career it's it's more than it's that majority, at this point yeah yeah I, it's like it's one of those things too where like um the story like in brief is essentially like um you know, in 1992, uh, when he pitched the Razor Ramon character, he essentially pinched, pitched Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson on, here's this movie that I saw. Have you seen it? And they were like, no, but it's amazing that you can do this. Um, like, he Have you seen Scarface, Scarface Vince McMahon? Yeah. No? Okay. <laughs> uh, no, absolutely not. So, like, in, in 1996, with, like, Sting, like, flailing, like, the, the Hulk Hogan era of WCW had pretty much completely killed sting it made him subservient it gave him nothing to do he was feuding with a bunch of meatheads that he couldn't do anything with uh and scott hall pretty much suggested to him that he watch the crow and and take what he could from that and what sting took from that was the entirety of his gimmick essentially (laughs) um but you know that that sting has never gone back to quote unquote surfer sting since 1996. Mm -hmm. Um, like that, that is the gimmick that people want from him. Like, um, it's what he does. There's different versions of it for sure. Like there's tomato sting from the wolf pack. And like, I think the AEW (laughs) sting is like classic rock sting. Um, but like it's, it's, it might seem easy to look at, a movie and say this would make a good wrestling gimmick but it actually takes a kind of genius to look at that suggest how it would work and tailor it to a specific talent Uh let alone somebody who had been in the main event of a wrestling promotion since 1988 i take yeah it takes a ton i mean it takes a ton to recognize the contrast that had to exist for a sting character to go in a different direction and um, and knowing that Steve could lean into it, which like, I th- honestly, that, that might be the, that might be the biggest compliment Scott Hall could have given Steve Borden is to say, I think you could pull this off because if you had told me in 1995, Hey, like Sting's about to like become exactly like Brandon Lee from the crow, I'd be like, Oh, he's not going to pull that off. <laughs> yeah. There's no way like, he's not going to do that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. He's one of the smartest people, Scott Hall to, uh, I, I think to ever, to ever operate at a high level in this business. Um, and I, I want to talk about some little things before we kind of wrap up. Mm-hmm. Um, this is so, this is so silly, but like, I love wrestlers that have chest hair. <laughs> yeah. I really do. It's just it's always been one of those things. Age. Yeah, it's just always been one of those things where I'm just like, because it's not the norm, when when a dude has it, I'm like, oh, hey, that guy's got chest hair. Cool. Um, and Scott Hall always had it, which is amazing to me. Um, yeah, he always did. How do you feel about chest hair on a wrestler? I love body hair on a wrestler in general. Yeah. Um, like, you know, it's not, it's not Scott Hall, but um, I think one of my favorite uh things would be like the nasty boys not shaving their armpit hair sure yeah Um, you know like that sort of thing it is it is different like i think that the culture around wrestling which is very similar to the culture around bodybuilding is that you know a hairless body accentuates the physique and blah 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 right but you know scott hall even even in the 80s like when he was wrestling in the awa or or whatever would still have that chest hair and a huge mustache like a A huge awesome mustache Um, yeah so like he always looked like he had kind of an edge to him he always looked kind of swarthy and it's good it's it's a perfect look yeah and you you mentioned this uh to me but uh, or or on twitter and to me i believe but uh uh his punches one of the best punchers in the biz they're so good Uh, they're so snappy 
yeah, it's really hard to describe like how, how good they are. Um, yeah. Like it's somebody when I, when I tweeted that replied to me, they're so good that that's why the rock stole them. And like, I didn't want to make that point because I don't know, like the rock could deny whatever he could say that he got the sharpshooter from like a kid on the street or whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, but like, yeah, no, yeah, he like, got it from Ricky Choshu, please. Yeah. <laughs> the rock was just chilling out with the power lock. Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's just it's one of those things where, like, when you look at it, like there's there's a charisma to his body movements that I think is evident both in his punches, which like yeah. in that WrestleMania 10 ladder match, he is laying those on mm-hmm. like thick like he is he is rocking HBK. Um, and I think that same physical charisma was there in the way that he sold too. Um, yeah. You know, when he would get punched or when he would get kicked or when he would get, you know, rocked or whatever, like the way that like it was almost like his punch in reverse, (laughs) Um, Uh which is crazy because that's such a weird movement. But yeah, he had really long arms um, and like was like a really lanky dude, like like surprisingly big which you would only say because wrestling is a land full of people more than 610. Yeah. So yeah, like he he looked great when he did it and um, I, I really think that that was something that he locked into with like the Dawn of the Razor Ramon character. Like he, yeah. he, it really clicked into place when he started doing that. Like it wasn't the same in like WCW as the diamond stud or AWA or anything like that. Like it, it was really something that clicked into place in the early nineties. Yeah. Yeah. It's that those Razor Ramon punches. I, yeah. When he came on the scene and you know, I didn't follow regional wrestling at all when I was a kid. So I, you know, he just seemed like a brand new guy to me. Yeah. Um, it, he just came on. I'd never seen this dude before, but he acted like he invented the fucking thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what really it felt did. like to me. Like, even as yeah. a kid, I was like, I don't know. Like, I think the first time I saw him was WrestleMania nine where he faced Bob back Bob pre pre snap Bob Backlund. Yeah. Um, that's pretty rough. Where, like, which is rough. Already done the Bret Hart Royal rumble match, which is it's perfect. Like that match rules. Yeah. That match is super good, but that, you know, the first time I saw him was there and I was like, I don't even know who this Bob Ackland guy is. I don't give a (laughs) shit, but, but like this guy's dope and I'm not supposed to like him, but he just acted like the light. He's just acting like he invented the fucking thing, which is very cool. And that's pretty much his entire character is being the coolest. Yeah. Um, He also had amazing uh, gear. I feel like. It's kind of iconic thing. gear. Um, Razor gear. Razor Ramon gear was very good. Iconic. His hall gear in NWO was amazing too with the drip. Maybe my favorite. The black and white drip is surprisingly really good. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. Um, I'd, I'd have just girls. been very sad. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to think of too many wrestlers that had it put together as much as hall did like in the yeah. ring on the microphone and and presentationally and yeah one like we mentioned him helping sting out like one of the things that's that's come out over and over and over again over the past week is how often he would go to like indie shows that he'd been booked to do a signing mm. for and just freely give advice to people who were in the ring yeah like even you know, even so far as like last year, like he was, he was doing stuff like that. Like he yeah. was giving himself to, to the business, like, and you don't really find that that often. So yeah, like I, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I, I, I think this is sad. I think it's, I think it's frankly a tragedy. Like it's, yeah. um, you know, all deaths in wrestling are sad, but yes. it really felt like we were watching a man like enjoy a surprise third act in life. Yeah. Um, and for Same. that to be cut short so soon is uh, tremendously sad. Yeah, it really is. Um, if you are not familiar with Scott Hall's work and Razor Ramon's work and all that, I please, I, I implore you to check out uh, some of his matches. Um, we, 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 maybe we'll put something together. I don't know, uh, over, over a fan bite, but I think, um, um, yeah, I don't know. Colette, I just I thank you for chatting with me. When when this happened, all all I wanted to do honestly is talk to someone who <laughs> watched as much of this stuff as I have and just um I don't know, remember remember the man that I apparently loved very much. <laughs> yeah. So. He snuck up on you. Um Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh we'll be we'll be covering this pretty in depth over the next 
week or so at FanFight. Um, yeah. We, we took some time to make sure that we got it right, but there's oh, pieces yeah. about um, his loss to Hiroshi Tanahashi, pieces about him coming out to uh, the Fuji's Ready or Not in ECW. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm writing a pretty long piece um, about the ladder match and um, his, you know, you wanted a war promo from WCW Nitro. And uh, David Bixenspan, I believe, is writing something about the click. So there will be a pretty varied amount of coverage on on hall like we just we wanted to make sure that we got it right because he you know legend is is putting it succinctly but um you know if if we really do believe him to be like one of the one of the most important wrestlers of all time then we want to you know cover him with the kind of gravitas that that deserves so yeah that's that sounds amazing um can't wait to read all of that that all sounds incredible uh thanks again colette i appreciate it thank you Hey, let's get you ready for the video games that are coming out this week. Let's start with the new releases. Uh, let's start with uh, March 22nd, shall we? We've got two games coming out. Uh, Kraken Academy comes to Xbox Series X and S, X and S, Xbox One, and Nintendo Switch. And Rune Factory 5. Oh, yeah. The long-running Rune Factory series is getting a new entry. It's a role-playing game. You're going to love it if you like those things. Uh, Those are both coming out on March 22nd. That's a Nintendo Switch joint, by the way, Rune Factory 5. Um, We also have a Memoir Blue on PlayStation 5, 4, Xbox Series X and S, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. I could have just said everything except Google Stadia, but I didn't. Uh, That's on March 24th. The Ascent is finally making its way to PlayStation 5 and 4 on March 24th. And March 25th has got a a nice trifecta of games. First, we have Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. If you are a Borderlands fan, then you'll probably be right at home with Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. Very excited for you if you're into those things. Uh, PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Xbox Series X and S, and Xbox One, as well as PC. That's March 25th. Kirby in the Forgotten Land. I'm very excited about this one. March 25th as well on the Nintendo Switch. That's the open world one. That's the one where Kirby can swallow a vending machine and stuff. I'm very excited to take that for a spin. And Ghostwire Tokyo coming to PlayStation 5 and PC on March 25th. Uh, We should have some uh, review day coverage of Ghostwire Tokyo. Well, we already do, actually. I don't know why I say we should. Um, We'll we'll have some launch stuff, but we already have some coverage already. Um, But yeah, that's, uh, that's an interesting one. I've heard some things. I don't think I can say what they are yet, but... (laughs) That game is a little bit more surprising than I think I expected it to be. Uh, and it's less scary, according to our own Funky Joseph, who said it's uh, not as scary, uh, that they wanted it to be a little bit scarier, but it's not not quite as scary as they thought. Anyway, that's what's coming out this week. We had a couple of surprise releases. So let's talk about Xbox Game Pass, first of all. Um, let's talk about the rest of the month. Kraken Academy, Tainted Grail, Conquest, Zero Escape, the Nonary Games, a memoir blue, uh, F one to 2021 crusader Kings three weird West and Norco. Those are all coming to Xbox game pass. Norco is PC games pass only F one 2021 is Xbox uh, game pass ultimate only, uh, crusader Kings of course is an amazing game that, uh, LB has been playing on our twitch.tv slash fanbyte, uh, for, um, uh, for the past couple weeks. Uh, it's an amazing, it's an amazing stream. It's really, really funny. If you've never played that game, it's pretty cool. And weird West is of course the immersive sim isometric kind of immersive sim from, uh, Wolf Eye, which is uh, the folks that did, uh, well, it's Raph Cole Antonio who used to be part of arcane. So that's, that's super exciting. But two games that came out this past week for Xbox game pass. One is paradise killer that came out on March 16th. Uh, and, and that game is amazing. If you haven't played paradise killer, it's super, super good. And tunic a game that has been in development for years and years, uh, kind of stealth launched on Xbox game pass on March 16th. I've played that game. I've taken it for a spin. It is challenging. It looks very cute. 
and it is very cute, but it's tough. It's kind of opaque. They give you a little bit of, you know, they give you some clues. You can, you can collect these pages of a, uh, instruction booklet, like the NES days. It's very, very cool. And it's how you have the game works, but like this game does not hold your hand and the combat's pretty tough. It's a tough game. I didn't expect it to be this tough, but it's fun. I'm enjoying it. It's not a change of pace from Elden Ring. I'll say that. I thought maybe this would be a nice change of pace from Elden Ring, but like it's still pretty intense and it's a little bit like a Dark Souls game. So if you're looking for something that's a total contrast from Elden Ring, Tunic may not be it, but uh, that game is uh, uh, that game is really good. Should end up on some end of year lists. I think it's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that 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 came out this week as well. So a lot of stuff coming out at the end of March. Uh, I will definitely be excited to play Weird West. That's kind of outside of the purview of this week's coming soon because that's March thirty first. But I'm definitely looking forward to getting my hands on that. And uh, yeah, that's that's about it for what's coming out this week. Uh, next week, you might have some idea of what's coming for April on uh, Games for Gold and uh, PlayStation Now. Uh, but uh, until then, I uh, hope you enjoy the stuff that's already out. And that's where we're going to leave things for this week's episode. I want to thank my guest, Colette Aaron, for stopping by and chatting with me about the late, great Scott Hall. That was a really lovely conversation. Uh, you can find Colette. Of course, you can find her writing over at fanbyte.com. You can find her on Twitter at Colette Aaron. That is C-O-L-E-T-T-E-A-R-R-A-N-D. Uh, she it does an incredible job with all of our wrestling stuff. So and you heard it in the segment. There's a lot coming down the pipe about Scott Hall. Um, it's, uh, I don't know. It's a really great section of wrestling content and it's only getting better. Uh, I also want to thank Paul Tamayo, my excellent producer for helping me put together yet another excellent episode of this show. You can find him over on Twitter at Polly Mayo. He and I have both been crying about the long Gran Turismo seven outage. That game should not be always online. I play that game by myself. Anyway, uh, you can find all of our other podcasts at podcastnet.work. You can find our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash fanbyte. You can find me uh, at floppy adult on Twitter. Uh, and until next week, you're welcome. Welcome.